0: Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. Well, good morning, guys. We are in the Gospel of Mark, and we are going through the Gospel of Mark verse by verse. For those of you visiting with us today, uh, our prayer for you is that as we go through uh, this text today, verse by verse, that you will experience God day by day. Um Mark chapter 9, verses 14, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there, and as you do that, let me review from last Sunday. Last week, the Holy Spirit of Almighty God, he, he taught us about the suffering of God and the glory of God. And as I was preparing for this message, I found two passages that I just had to share with you from last week, two new ones. They both come from uh, the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, the word of God says, it was entirely appropriate that God, that he should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through suffering. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, the word of God says, although he was a son, so that's Jesus, he learned He learned obedience from what he suffered. So in other words, Jesus, as the second person of the Trinity, he became perfectly obedient to God the Father. And how much more we. We also witnessed how dangerous it is to focus on one or two verses and not the other passages in Scripture that discuss the same subject because the disciples, they were so focused on Jesus being a conquering Messiah that they couldn't see that he was ordained to be first a suffering Messiah. We also learned about Elijah and John the baptizer and how these two men, one from the Old Testament and one from the New, how they are messengers that proclaim that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And one of our key points from last week was this, that John the Baptist, he introduces the suffering Messiah, while Elijah introduces the conquering Messiah. And we learned how these these two introductions of Jesus are two separate events. And then lastly, we took a a surprising look at how the transfiguration of Jesus and the cross of Christ, how they are one and the same. And then we applied all of this by uh, discussing if if we don't see how the glory of Jesus and the suffering of Jesus, how those are two sides of the same coin, we're going to have a tough time understanding what's going on in our world, what's going on in our lives. We're not going to understand the suffering of the world, the reality of sin, the cost of sin, the grace in which God has given to us um, that Jesus offers through his blood that is eternal life versus eternal death. And then lastly, our own suffering. If we don't understand that suffering and glory from Jesus, they are one and the same. So all of that to say, today's scripture passage is a classic example of how quickly a mountaintop experience turns into a deep, painful valley in the matter of moments. How many of you have had an amazing devotional or quiet time in, in the morning with the Lord. And as soon as you close your Bible, bam, the phone rings, text message, you check your email, don't ever check your email before a, uh, before your quiet time, all right? So you close your Bible and everything's going, and you're like, really, Lord, this is how we're going to start this day. All righty. Well, Peter, James, and John, they experienced the glory of God with the transfiguration the night before, and really, this is as good as it gets. You know, we could call that a spiritual high if we wanted to to use that terminology, but today, Jesus, Peter, James, and John, they're walking down the mountain, and they're going to meet up with the other nine disciples, and before they even are able to greet one another, there's a problem. And it's not just a little problem, it's a big problem. This really is as low as it gets for the 12 disciples. Uh, We're going to see one of the biggest fiascos in their ministry today. What is the fiasco, and how do they respond to it? Well, let's find out. If you would, please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's Word. Mark chapter 9, verses 14 and following. When they came to the disciples... They saw a large crowd around them and scribes disputing with them. And when the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed and they ran to greet him. And he asked them, what are you arguing with them about? Someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. And he, he has a spirit that, that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, he grinds his teeth, He becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. And he replied to them, oh, you unbelieving generation. How long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. So they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. And he fell to the ground and he rolled around foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the father. From childhood, he said. And many times it has thrown him into the fire or to the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can. Everything is possible for the one who believes And immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was quickly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and you deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And then it came out, shrieking and throwing him into terrible convulsions. And the boy became like a corpse, So that many said, well, he's he's dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, he raised him up and he stood up. After he had gone into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he told them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer. These are the very words of God for us this morning. So Father in heaven, you have an amazing passage of scripture that's going to show us unbelief and what it looks like to have faith and a small amount of faith and what you can do with that small amount of faith. No matter where we are with our journey today, Lord God, let us hear from you directly. Let us know that you are smiling down on us and teach us about faith today. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Please have a seat. Thank you, guys. Let's take a deeper look here at verse 14. So there's a lot of pronouns in this scripture passage, so I'm going to slow down here and make sure that we know who we're, who's speaking to whom. Verse 14, when they, so that's Jesus, Peter, James, and John, when they came to the other disciples, the other nine disciples there, they, Jesus, Peter, James, and John, they saw a crowd around them and scribes disputing with them. Once again, that's the other nine disciples. So once again, when Jesus, Peter, James, and John came to the other nine disciples, Jesus, Peter, James, and John, they saw a large crowd around them and scribes disputing with the other nine disciples. So are you familiar with the uh, the saying, what comes around goes around? Right? Right? Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9, there's nothing new under the sun. Well, verse 14 gives us some Old Testament imagery here. Just as Moses came down from God's presence on Mount Sinai to the faithless, to the proud, to the arrogant and uh, argumentative people of Israel, Jesus also comes down from Mount Hermon from his transfiguration to find, guess what? More faithless, more proud, more argumentative people waiting for him. So don't miss the irony here. We have Jesus, Peter, James, and John. They're moving from light to the darkness. We've got the mountaintop down to the valley, heaven to earth. We've got the scribes, once again. They enter the picture here. The scribes, these men, are. they've got their PhDs in religious studies, And they are arguing with the other nine disciples. So I want you to imagine a loud, chaotic mob of people. We've got these these proud VIPs of Israel. They're all dressed in their garb. And they're they're in the faces of the other nine disciples. The disciples, these insecure, blue-collar workers. People are shouting from both sides. They're arguing. They're losing their cool here, and this crowd is watching this whole thing unfold. It really is an embarrassing scene. The crowd must be absolutely appalled at what's going on. Verse 15, when the whole crowd saw him, so that's Jesus, they, the crowd, they were amazed, and they they ran to greet Jesus. So the picture here, that word amazed, picture a group of young teenagers, They are excessively overcome with their emotions. Why? Because they just saw a Hollywood star. They just saw somebody from the latest boy band. So that's the picture. The crowd is so excited, they just immediately, they run to Jesus. So what's that tell you? It tells you who, who the crowd believes has the real authority here. It's not the Reverend Doctor's. And it's not the disciples either, it is Jesus. So why, why is the crowd so excited to see Jesus? Well, first and foremost, Jesus surprised them. They weren't expecting to see Jesus. Um, they were excited because Jesus is the topic of conversation here. So verse 16, he, so that's Jesus, he asked them, that's the scribes, what are you arguing with them, my disciples, about? So Jesus asked the scribes, what are you arguing with my disciples about? Jesus is clearly not happy in verse 16. These scribes are taking advantage of his disciples. So we see Jesus turn into a papa bear here. And he goes right after the scribes. And basically he says, you guys got a question you need to ask me, not them. Evidently, Jesus' statement silenced the scribes because nobody answers. And the disciples, they don't say anything either. They're they're too embarrassed. So they're going to keep their mouths closed. Verse 17, someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Matthew's gospel says that the father got on his knees before Jesus. Luke records the father saying, Jesus, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. So this father, he knows exactly who Jesus is. He gives him the respect. He gives him the honor that Jesus deserves. So this man, what he does, really, he takes advantage of that silence. I mean, it's a miracle in itself. You've got preachers and religious people not talking, right? That's a miracle. So this man throws himself at Jesus' feet. Verse 18, whenever it seizes him, so whenever the demon seizes my boy, it throws him down, and my boy foams at the mouth, and he grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. Okay, so we we know what the problem is. We know what they're arguing about. The other nine disciples, they failed to cast a demon. And because of their failure, the scribes, they were mocking, they were challenging Jesus' authority while he wasn't there. Now, I want you to notice this. We have a young man who is possessed by a demon. And this demon is tossing this kid around like a rag doll. So picture that. Picture the demon body slamming this child on his head. This poor kid has experienced concussion after concussion after concussion, and the scribes are laughing at this moment. They're laughing at the disciples for trying to to, to cast it out that they failed to do so. So instead of being focused on the care and the well-being of the child and the father, the scribes are focused on being theologically right. How tragic is that? If you were the parents of this child, how would you feel? I mean, the the father brought his son for help. This is a life and death situation. And and the religious people now, they're laughing at your boy. They think this is funny. They think this is entertainment. How would you react? Visualize how the crowd's responding to all of this. They got to be disgusted. And then what about the boy? I mean, he could feel and and see the shame of the crowd while this demon is inflicting all of this pain on him and yet the boy can't hear and he can't cry out and ask for help. This boy, he is locked up in his own body. He has no control over it. Verse 19, so Jesus replied to them, that's the disciples, and he says, you unbelieving generation, Man, how long do I have to be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. Now, I find those very interesting questions because Jesus knows he's not going to be with his disciples much longer. Calvary is about six months away, and yet it seems like six months is too long. He says, you unbelieving generation. That statement there was aimed primarily at the disciples, Your translation may say, oh, oh, you faithless generation. Jesus says, oh, I mean, this is a cry from his heart. That word, oh, there, that was rarely used in speaking with other people. But Jesus did it here. Jesus, he is clearly annoyed. He is exasperated with these 12 men. Jesus has poured his life into these guys for the past two and a half years, So why is he so irritated? Well, he commissioned the 12 to have the authority over the demons, and yet they failed. So moving on to verse 20 here, this is extremely graphic. And as we read this verse, I want you to picture a Hollywood horror movie. Verse 20, they, so that's the disciples, they brought the boy to him, that's Jesus. When the spirit saw Jesus, the spirit immediately threw the boy into convulsions. And he he fell to the ground, and he's rolling around, and he's foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked. From childhood, his father said. Now, why would Jesus ask this question? And does it really matter how long this has been going on? I mean, it doesn't really have a bearing on on the boy's pain. It doesn't have a bearing on, on the father's helplessness. Jesus asked this question because he wanted the father to tell his story. There's no doubt that this guy has gone to doctors. He's gone to medical doctors. He's gone to Pharisaic exorcists. He's possibly gone to witch doctors. I mean, this man is desperate. Wouldn't you be desperate? From childhood? No one's listened to him. And yet Jesus, Jesus is the wonderful counselor. And he allows the Father to bear his pain for all of these years. So the Father continues here, verse 22. He goes on, he says, many times the demon has thrown him into fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Open fires were all over Israel. It's how they cooked. It's how they kept warm. Water was also readily available as well in case the fire got out of control. They obviously used it for cleaning. Now the world would say Look, guys, this is not demon possession. This is clearly just a simple case of epilepsy. You guys are overreacting, talking about all this demon stuff. And as people of the Word of God, as Christians, we go, wait a second, friend. When does epilepsy purposely try to kill its victims? By throwing them into the fire or drowning them. His son is not simply having a seizure. The boy is physically, he is emotionally, he is spiritually assaulted by this demon. Seizures don't intentionally try to kill that way, but demons do. So verse 23, Jesus said, if you can. Well, everything is possible for the one who believes. So in other words, Jesus is asking this man, do you believe that I'm the Messiah? Verse 23 is one of the most abused verses in all of Scripture. Once again, Jesus says, everything is possible for the one who believes. So let's spend a little time here in the world that we live. Let's come out of first century Israel and and let's Let's talk about what's going on here in, the, here in our country, in the world, specifically here in the Verde Valley. Let me give you a little sermon in a sermon here. This verse has been ripped out from this context for these self-proclaimed healers and these prosperity preachers for the sole purpose of lying in their own pockets. These guys are going to tell you that your child is sick or that you're broke because you don't have enough faith. And that's what heretics do. They take one verse out of the context, and they beat you down with it. And dear friends, that's, we don't do that. That's, that's what, not what the church does. The church uses the word of God to lift people up. We don't beat people down with it. And yet these guys, they go from city to city, country to country, telling blind people to believe that they can see and these poor blind people, they try their best to believe. They're going to believe that they can see. And they open their eyes, and they can't see a thing. The crippled, they are told to believe that they can walk. And yet they, they, they fall down. They can't get out of their wheelchair. Many, many times we, we hear these These thugs, really they're spiritual thugs, that's a good word for them. And they're trying to get everybody all jazzed up, saying, I believe, I believe in Jesus' name, you are going to be made well. I command the sickness to be gone. I command in Jesus' name that you're going to be made well. I believe that Christ can heal him, and I am going to pray in faith, and I know that I will be answered. You go, whew, man. You're getting all that from this verse. Hmm. No, dear friend, that 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 kind of prayer, that style of prayer, it goes well beyond God's word. Notice the notice the style of prayer here. I command, I believe, I'm going to pray. I know that I will be answered. Me, myself, and I. Me, myself, and I. Me, myself, and I. Dear friends, that is the unholy trinity of mankind. And regardless of how many times someone says, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, or they they speak in Christianese, the prayer is still all about them. So let me show you key point number one today. All things can be done for the one who has faith. But your faith must submit to the will of God. All things can be done for the one who has faith. But your faith must submit to the will of God. So please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that God doesn't heal today, because he certainly does. He undoubtedly does. But here's the question. When you look at a verse like this, what else does God's word say about healing? What does it say about faith? Because scripture interprets scripture. Write down James chapter 5 verse 13 if you're a note taker. James chapter 5 verse 13. So when you look at when you look at someone who's praying these kind of prayers, you know, is this person a true prophet? Because there are prophets in our day and age, there's no doubt about that, and healing does happen. No question. But did the Holy Spirit say it was God's will for this person to be healed? Because if that's the case, God will use that man to heal that person. No doubt. But the problem is, is when we take verse 23, and we make it a blanket statement that applies to everyone who is sick. I mean, think about the prophets in the Old Testament. Did they heal everyone that, that they came across? Did they hold these huge healing rallies and, and ask people to come forward? Did they uh, accept cash for their healings? Quite the opposite. Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 16. Read that passage when you get home. They, they didn't do this stuff that we're doing today. And maybe, just maybe, it is God's will for this person to suffer this way. And you say, "Well, wait a second, Dustin. I mean, how can you even say that? Well, how is it possible that God the Father would send God the Son to die and shed his blood on a Roman cross? I mean, did Jesus not have enough faith? Is that why he suffered? Is that why he died? What's my point? Well, when someone names and claims a healing that does not work, nobody puts it back on the fake healer or the prosperity preacher. Because if faith is all that's needed, why doesn't the healer, why doesn't the preacher himself have enough faith to produce the healing? So that brings us to key point number two. Nobody is able to create faith in and among themselves. Nobody is able to create faith in and among themselves. The word of God says this, Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourself, the this or the that in your translation is the grace and it is the faith it's God's gift it's not from works so that no one can boast so no one can brag about their own faith Faith is not generated by a mental decision to believe something that's why the sinners prayer and this asking Jesus uh, into your heart business have really it, it's wrecked millions of families over the past 100 years. Scripture clearly tells us that we as humans, we cannot make a decision for faith. And you say, wait a second, Dustin, I've I've said the sinner's prayer and I did ask Jesus into my heart. I've got my free get out of hell card. And I'm sorry, friend, it doesn't work that way. That's not what God's word says. You've been led astray and you've believed a lie. But it doesn't have to stay that way. Let me show you this. John chapter 6, verse 44, the word of God says, This is Jesus speaking now. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And then faith comes by hearing the word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. That is the true message, that's the true gospel. And the true message about the gospel includes some bad news and some very good news. The bad news is that we're sinners, that we're, we're, we're all children of the devil, that we're all on this very wide road walking towards a very real place called hell. The good news is that Jesus came from heaven so that he could be the sacrifice and pay our sin debt and now we can come into the throne room of almighty god there is the good news and the bad news with the gospel but these prosperity guys these healers what they do is they prey on people who are enslaved to their comfort they love pleasure and they've been sold a false gospel And they preach that health and prosperity are a sign from God. And they say things, you know, if you don't have good health, and if you don't have money, well, you don't have God's favor. You haven't believed this thing into existence. So these people who are weak in their faith, they don't read their Bible. They're not part of a a local Christ-centered, Holy Spirit, Bible-believing church. They're not being discipled, so they're disconnected. They are sheep without a shepherd, and they're hurt, and they're away from the herd, and that means they're vulnerable. You've seen the Discovery Channel documentaries, haven't you? There's an animal away from the herd, and there's a roaring lion stalking it, and these scammers, they turn around and they blame them, the people who don't have enough faith, So the bullies take their money, go on to the next city. Now let me ask you this, how much faith is enough? So let's go back into first century now. How much faith is enough? Let's see how much faith this father really has. And how Jesus responds to his faith. Let's listen to the word of Almighty God. Let's listen to the word who became flesh. Verse 23, Jesus says to this man, If you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. So Jesus wastes no time to zero in on this man's doubt. Now can you blame this man, this father, for having doubts? This father has done everything he humanly can to help his son. These guys are beyond human help, and the father hears about Jesus, brings his boy to meet Jesus, and yet Jesus is, he's on Mount Hermon with Peter, James, and John. So the other nine disciples, they step in and they say, no problem, sir, we got this. So they go to perform this exorcism just like the others, Whew. crickets, nothing happens. And then on top of that, the father watches the religious people get into an argument about it. So can you relate to the father's doubt? And yet this doubt, it had to be removed before Jesus performed the miracle. So key point number three for today. The father's struggle is not with his son's demon. It's with his faith. The father's struggle is not with his son's demon. It's with his faith. Verse 24, immediately the father of the boy cried out. He says, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Now, I don't know about you, but aren't you glad verse 24 is right there? Yeah. This man is one of the most transparent people in the Bible. This man's faith is trembling. He, it's imperfect, and yet it is so unbelievably real. So I, I I pray that you do not walk out of here today thinking that you're a a hypocrite or something's wrong with you because you don't have perfect faith. In Greek, it's pronounced balone i e. Balone i.e. It's baloney. That's how you spell perfect faith. Nowhere in scripture does the Lord Jesus expect you to be a super Christian because there's no such thing. This man has mustard-sized faith and Jesus, he does expose this as a problem because the problem, it's not on Jesus's end. The problem is not Jesus is unwilling to cast out the demon. Jesus is more than willing. The problem is not that Jesus can't Cast out the demon. Jesus has the ability. The problem is human unbelief. So the father, he knew that Jesus could heal his son. That's why he brought him. But it's his own faith. It was dangerously shaken because the disciples, they couldn't cast it out the first time. I mean, after all, if these guys can't do it, then who can? These are Jesus' right-hand men. Key point number four. People who have true faith are very aware of how deficient it is. People who have true faith are very aware of how deficient it is. This father says, help my unbelief, Jesus. The father is asking Jesus to give him a stronger faith. He cries out in prayer. He just says, help. The Word of God says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, this is absolutely fascinating. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, why do we want to do that? Because Jesus is the pioneer. He is the perfecter of our faith. So think about this. This father is looking directly into the eyes of the perfecter of his faith. And by asking for help, the father is asking Jesus to remove his unbelief and to perfect him, to perfect his faith. So this man declares he has faith, and yet at the same time, he admits his doubt. I like this guy. I like him. But today's fake faith healers, the prosperity guys, they would say, well, those two things are incompatible. But not Jesus. Key point number five, Jesus, he's not limited by imperfect faith because even the most robust faith is mixed with a measure of doubt. Jesus is not limited by imperfect faith because even the most robust faith, even the most seasoned Christian, you've been walking with the Lord 40, 50, 60 years, you still have a measure of doubt. So in other words, all you need is the faith of a mustard seed. Jesus did not expect the Father to overcome all of his doubt at this moment, but Jesus did need to move the needle forward here with this man's faith. So verse 25, when Jesus saw that a crowd was quickly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, and he said, You mute and you deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him. Again, so this father and this son they've been through enough, and the Lord Jesus he prevents the demon from ever re entering the boy. Verse 26 Then the demon came out and it was shrieking, it threw the boy into terrible convulsions, and the boy became like a corpse. So that many said, Well, he's dead, he's dead. No, 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 that can't be right. Was the father's faith, was that not enough? Did he not conjure up enough faith for his son to be healed? Is this his fault? I mean, what's going through the father's mind? You see the father looking at Jesus going, Jesus, uh -uh. uh-uh, this was not supposed to happen. And once again, the 21st century faith healers would say, I told you, you didn't have enough faith. But see, the faith healers and the prosperity guys of today, they don't know God's word or they misinterpret it. Because there are themes throughout all of Scripture regarding how things must get worse before things get better. Just look at the cross of Christ. Verse 27 so, Jesus, he walks over and taking him by the hand, he raised him, and the boy stood up. The Gospel of Luke says that Jesus gave the boy back to his father. I mean, how precious is that? A child of the devil has been freed from the power of darkness. Key point number six what you do with your imperfect faith is crucial. What you do with your imperfect faith is crucial. The father had imperfect faith. He placed his weak and his feeble faith and he he just gave it to Jesus. He gave everything he had to Jesus. So key point number seven, he believed with what faith he had. He believed with what faith he had. So in other words, this this father's faith was sufficient. Unbelievable. Now, what's the significance of the boy lying like a corpse? Well, it kind of looks like a resurrection, doesn't it? it? It's not. It's a symbol. It's a symbol for the disciples, Verses 28 and 29, we've got a transition here. The crowd leaves. The disciples, Jesus, they're they're walking back to a house. We don't know what house this is. But after he had gone into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we cast it out? And he told them, well, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer. So when Peter, Jesus, James, and John, when they were on Mount Hermon, the other nine disciples, they were just going about their work. It was business as usual for them. They were preaching, and they were casting out evil spirits. They were casting out evil spirits, and they were preaching. But when they came to this particular demon, they failed. So I want you to imagine this. Nathaniel, he says, I'll take care of this. He tries it. He fails. Matthew said, that didn't sound that doesn't look right. Let me let me try. He tries and he fails. Then the other seven disciples, can't you see them kind of pushing each other to get in line to see if they can do this? Because they're doing what they've always done. Because what they've always done has gotten them a certain success in ministry. It's worked, but not today. So we've got Philip, he tries, he fails. Bartholomew, Thomas, James. The other James, Thaddeus, we've got Simon the Zealot. Imagine Simon the Zealot trying to cast out this demon. Judas, he tries, nothing works. Why? Why does nothing work? Because they all have a bad case of the normals. They wrongly believe that this spiritual gift was given to them by Jesus and it was under their control. They believed that they could exercise this gift at their will, at their choosing, at their command. And they failed to realize, without complete dependence on Almighty God, they've got no power at all. In other words, all these religious guys around and nobody thought to pray. That kind of sounds like another sermon for another day, doesn't it? And nobody thought to pray because everybody's too busy arguing with one another. And Jesus says this kind, this kind of demon, this demon caused the boy to be deaf and mute. So there's no way that a human can communicate with with this boy. And the only way a mute and deaf spirit can be cast out is by the power of God. This is known as a messianic miracle. Now, in verse 28, you're going to notice here that the emphasis is on themselves. Why couldn't we cast it out? Why couldn't we cast it out? And Jesus says, well, you didn't pray. Now, at this moment, I want you to picture Peter saying, well, wait a second, Jesus, you didn't pray either. And Jesus says, nope, I didn't have to. The boy's father did. Verse 22, have compassion on us, help us, Jesus. Verse 24, I do believe, help me with my unbelief. The Father says, help twice. How many times have you prayed that prayer to where you say, God, I I just need your help. The man had done everything that he was supposed to do. He prayed. Praying is something that the the disciples, they they didn't do. They didn't take the time to do it. So this really is an amazing lesson on faith, on the reality of unbelief. And I I just want to encourage you guys, when you are assaulted with with your doubts, when you are Doubting your faith and your your faith becomes frail. I want to encourage you to go to the source of your faith. And that is the word of God. Reading the word of God by the spirit of God will help you with your unbelief. Because key point number eight, prayer is the action side of faith. Prayer is the action side of faith. That's what we do. And how many times do we as a church, we go, well, I've tried everything else. I guess I'll pray now. I'll just pray. See, somebody had to pray before the boy was healed. Jesus, he calls the disciples to do things that are well beyond their own abilities. And he does this to show them apart from him, they got nothing. And it's the same with us. We've got nothing apart from Jesus. So if you want to build spiritual muscle, if you want to overcome your doubts, if you want to build your faith, read the word of God by the spirit of God from cover to cover over and over, and you will build that relationship with the one true living God. So Father in heaven, Thank you so much for this unbelievable story of what to do and what not to do. Lord, we want to praise you and thank you that you indeed meet us where we are with our unbelief. And my prayer for us is that you would get us out of our comfort zone. That you would continue to teach us the deep things of your word, and that you would allow us to apply them in our lives. And then lastly, that we do not keep this stuff to ourselves. That you have indeed come from heaven. You have paid our sin debt. You have cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. And all we can do, we can't even say thank you to that, Lord God. All we can do is worship you. And that's exactly what we'll do now. We worship you. Lord Jesus, and we thank you in your name, amen.